Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place of conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Dan Weatherall, and in the last episode of the podcast, you got to hear the first part of a conversation I had with Phil Evans about the text of the New Testament. We were discussing the reliability of the New Testament that we read today. Reliability in the sense of whether it whether we can be sure that it accurately reflects what the original text said. If not, then this would go some way to undermining the claims of Christianity about Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. But by comparing the manuscript evidence for the New Testament alongside other ancient classical pieces of literature, we were starting to see that there is a wealth of evidence that helps those involved in textual criticism. We talked about things like variants and cookies. Yes, you'll have to go back and listen to the episode to track Phil's cookie analogy. And we're just about to dive into some examples of where we can see that the text has been changed. The second half of the conversation is still a high-level overview. There is a lifetime's amount of work involved in assessing manuscript differences, so we're super grateful that textual critics have done the hard work for us. We mention a few helpful resources at the end if you're keen to look into this further. But the principal aim of the conversation was to paint the broad picture. So, let's jump back in and begin looking at some examples of textual variants and think about what the implications might be on the reliability of the New Testament. about diving into just a few examples of variants and variations and changes and so on. Shall we just talk through a couple of them? I mean, you've already sort of mentioned a few things where people could get things wrong accidentally and things like that. Have we got any other examples? Yeah, so I, I, can look I guess you, you can first of all split, um, split the variants into two main categories, which are accidental and deliberate. So just mm. just dealing with with the first of those, the accidental changes, you know, I guess that speaks to the human condition, doesn't it? If humans are copying words out from one page to another, or one manuscript to another, or one parchment to another, by virtue of the fact that we, you know, we we make mistakes as humans, you're going to get mistakes in that process as well. Mm. And that's interesting when you think when you think of of how these copies were made. Because certainly in the first instance, you know, if someone is if somebody is making a, a copy of Paul's letter to hand it to the next church down the road, you know, that, that person is very unlikely to be a professional scribe. Professional mm-hmm. scribes didn't arise as a, you know, a kind of body or entity and, until much later on, perhaps in the, you know, sort of third or fourth okay. century, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, so for, for, to start with, you know, these were just normal folk like you and I. Um, trying trying to make accurate copies of these letters, so the the, the types of accidental changes you get um, are things just just like you know missing words out. So there's, there's one very common type of change where you know let's say you've you know, imagine you're sat there and you've got one document you're looking at, and then your eyes go to another document where you're actually writing th- those down. Mm-hmm. So in in that process of kind of flicking your eyes back and forwards from one document to the other, 
you're, you're, you're occasionally going to, to go back to the source document and your eyes might start from a word that sounded similar to the one you've just copied, but in actual fact, uh -huh. is it in, in, in a different place? So you may inadvertently um, miss out a whole chunk of, of what you're writing. Um, and, and we can clearly show you know, where that's happened, where the scribe's eyes have gone back to a place on the original source document. Um, let's say they ended on the word um, holiness, and then they go back to see what comes after that, and they find the word holiness, but it's in a different place, and they just continue from there. So they've accidentally left left you know a, a, some verses out. So that's one example of of a very common um, mis mistake where where they can actually miss content out. And then you know you can think about very human factors in this, such as faulty eyesight, for example. Um, if you've got scribes who are there. You know, they've, they've, they've got no sort of modern vision correction aids like glasses that we wear today. You know, mm. you, you're going to get mistakes that are related to that kind of um, to, to that kind of issue. And then you can think about, you know, how, how they were engaged in this for hour and hour on end. You've got human fatigue and tiredness, which comes into the equation again. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you can easily appreciate how, you know, the, even for the most professional died in the wall scribe, they, they, they would have made mistakes and you know sometimes they had proofreaders to try and catch them and, and correct them mm. before the copy left the uh, you know the scriptorium or wherever it was they were writing them <laughs> but um but some some of them sort of um you know skipped through the net as well in fact one uh, rather amusing example of a of a, of a, of a scribal mistake is in a a document called Codex 109, and you, you can look yeah, this up. A nice name. Yeah, no, another very memorable one. Yeah, um, but it, it appears that the scribe who was creating this uh, this this codex was copying from a manuscript that had Luke's genealogy of Jesus. Okay. And the copy that he or the manuscript he was copying from evidently had this genealogy in two parallel columns. Okay, so first column and then the second one right next to it. And what he should have done, of course, is copied the first column from top to bottom and then gone back mm -hmm. and started on the second one from top to bottom as well in order to get this genealogy right. But instead, what he did, for reasons unknown, was he, he treated the two columns as just a single block of text and he copied across them. Oh, right. Okay, so right, right from left to right, so across the first column and then across the second, and he went down like that. Okay. Now you can imagine if you were doing that to any any text, the, the result would be a, a pretty garbled mess. But if you're if you're copying a genealogy, um, you're going to have a really bad day because because <laughs> genealogies, of course, family trees depend on on getting the sequence right. So what you find is yeah. in in Codex 109, you've got this completely nonsense genealogy of of the line of Jesus. You know, and you've, you've, everyone is the son of the wrong father. Um, mm. uh, I think um, God God is the son of Aram, and you end up with the creator of the, the entire universe being Phares or someone like that. Okay, so so there's okay. there's some there's some quite wacky examples of that where there's there's, there's clearly something gone horribly wrong, and you can usually yeah. find out what it is. He was having a bad day because if he didn't notice that that was that was <laughs> that's a serious mistake. But or yeah. Let's not be too hard on him, because copying out Luke's gospel is a big task. Yeah, and the va you know the vast majority of them aren't quite that amusing or uh, or as stark. They're <laughs> mostly a bit more boring.
okay. So lots of accidental changes then, which which we can sort of trace and, and work out, and thereby, you know, we know that that variant of that transla- of that genealogy of Luke is not is not correct, don't we? So that's yeah, immediately exactly, yeah. discount that that as, that variation as not being the original. So so that's how we work it out, don't we? We work it out and, and end up with with the the variants that that are going to be most likely perceived as to be original. Yeah. Um, what about um, changes that are deliberate? You know, did scribes do that an awful lot? Um, did they change things deliberately? Deliberate changes are an interesting one because when, when we think about deliberately changing something, we might, you know, we, we might think that they were doing it out of unsound motives perhaps, you know, in order mm. to just kind of deliberately corrupt or subvert the message. Um those kinds of instances are extremely rare um, where you've got a scribe who's actually trying to, you know, doctrinally corrupt what they're writing because the, the majority of, of the scribes in, in those early first centuries were, you know, very faithful and God-fearing men themselves. So they, they had, a, you know, an interest in, in transcribing as carefully as they could um, what they were copying. Um, so, so when we're thinking about deliberate changes, what we mean by that is that we've got a scribe who is who doesn't perhaps think that he knows better than God and is is trying to change something to make the original message mm-hmm. better, but rather they they had the view that the manuscript they were copying from, that scribe had made an error and they were just putting it right. Mm, I see, yeah. That, that's the nuance behind this. That, that's how we've got to think mm-hmm. about them. And again, there, there, there are certainly not as many as we might think. Um, certainly the number yeah. of deliberate changes you know, pale into insignificance compared to the accidental ones, as you might expect. Um, but there, again, you, you can categorise these in, in, into various different headings. One um, example is, is what we might call harmonisations. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a scribe, for example, um, who might be very, very familiar with well let, let's let's just take it back a minute think about the gospels okay we've got four gospels they're they're very similar or at least matthew mark and luke are john john is sort of a, a bit out there on his own um but the synoptic gospels for example matthew mark and luke are, are very similar in the content and and uh, the record about jesus that they tell us now imagine that you're a scribe and you've just spent a week copying out the gospel of mark Okay, you're, you're going to have a head full of Mark, right? You, you may even have memorized that gospel word for word. Mm. Uh, that's certainly not unheard of. Many of them memorize huge chunks of scripture. Mm. Now, imagine then that your next commission is to write out the gospel of Luke. Okay, and you're writing out Luke and, and you, you'll come across parts and you think, well, I remember that Mark, you know, Mark, Mark mentioned something there, which Luke doesn't include here. Um, you, 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 you might sort of, Again, this, this, this could be accidental or deliberate. Your head might just sort of fill in the gaps here and you might sort of go on autopilot and actually add something in um, that, that, that you, you, you think should be there. But in actual fact, you've mm. just sort of tried to harmonise it from another gospel. Um, mm. And, and that, that kind of change is quite common, you know, especially amongst scribes who, who would have known large portions of scripture off by heart and just had a... You know, quite innocuous desire to 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 you know, take details from mm. one gospel and put them into another. Yeah, this must have been a mistake, and let's let's put this back in if if they did indeed think about it. So I mean, you've, you've got other examples as well, such as marginal notes. Um, we tend to think that we're you know t- taking marginal notes is a 
is a kind of 21st century thing to do where we might, might be sat listening to a sermon or, you know, or a Bible talk mm. and we think, um, well, the speaker's made a really good point there. I'm just going to make a note of it in my margin. Um, scribes did that as well. So there, there are many examples of, of scribal annotations and notes on, on those manuscripts. So, you know, for example, a, a scribe might, might be writing something and um, they, they might realize that they've forgotten a verse. And so they might write it in the margin. But then the next person who, who, um, who writes that uh, or, or copies that manuscript leaves it out because they're not sure, well, did, did the scribe mean to put that in or not? So there's some of that confusion and, and, and those kinds of changes that are made as, as the documents are handed from scribe to scribe. Yeah, interesting. Marginal sort of references or marginal notes and things like that. That that sometimes is a, a flag for verses that are probably not genuine, isn't it? I think um, so. Verses that have ended up in in the New Testament text, but actually old manuscripts have got effectively got that text written as a marginal note that someone later on has thought, "Hold a minute, why is this here? Let's shove it in." Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's the famous sort of one John five. It was there in a marginal note, or at least something to that effect. Probably the best known example of, of a you know, piece of text that um, that has ended up in in well certainly the King James version today. Yeah, which, which it's all you know almost universally acknowledged by by um, those in this field was certainly not a part of the original text of 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 that letter of John. Um, I don't know. Do you have do you have the passage there? Yeah, it's the fa- it's the famous sort of Trinitarian formula, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I say I've got the passage, but I've got the ESV in front of me. Okay. So it doesn't have it. <laughs> it. Doesn't have that. But so the ESV, one John five, verse six. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Uh, where is it? Verse seven. For there are three that testify: the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. But I, I think the sort of very extended version of that verse is: there are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, Son, and the Holy. Ghost, Holy Spirit, and then and these three are one, and then it says something like, and there are three that bear witness on earth, and then it carries on, picks up where it left off. So, so yeah, there was there's some sort of marginal scribble, and and then there's very late manuscripts that have that in actually in the text, don't they? So I, th- I think there were only about four or five extant manuscripts that actually contain that, and um, there's the, the actual story behind that as well concerns a, a guy called Erasmus. We probably haven't got time to go into that, but I'd, I'd, I'd recommend. Um, recommend looking into it it's quite amusing how that came about i mean yeah so that's again that's like a really high profile sort of really clear-cut example isn't it of something that you can look at it's a fairly fairly big change and a fairly deliberate change um but we using the tools available to us or or the textual critics can use the tools available to them they they can work out very clearly that 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 wasn't there in the original and yeah yeah there's a few there's a handful but only a handful of larger sort of chunks of the text that are a bit like that aren't they yeah that's right then you could argue a bit about john 8 and the story of the woman caught in adultery there's a bit of john 5 about the angel stirring the water 
just before um, the healing of a man and then the ending of Mark's gospel. Yeah. That's pretty much it, isn't it? The, the, the big chunks that quite possibly have ended up in there that shouldn't have done. And then other than that, we, yeah, there's not an awful lot more riding on it. Yeah, that, 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 that can be quite disconcerting. You know, if you're, in a, if you're doing a Bible reading, for example, with, with, with a group of people and you're reading from different translations, you know, and you get, mm. get to the end of Mark's gospel, for example, and you know, someone reading from the King James Version has, has got a chapter which is composed of, you know, about 15 or 16 more verses than someone reading, reading yeah. from, from one of the more modern translations. You know, that it, it can sometimes cause some friction, but then you, you take a step back from that and think, well, you know, if, 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 if that ending, in fact, wasn't part of the original text, then what, what have we actually lost there? Well, we've, we've not really mm. lost anything that isn't explained elsewhere in Scripture anyway. So, so you know, we have to try not to be too yeah. sort of sensationalist about this, and it it it, it can yeah. sort of raise hackles with some people and get others a bit hot under the collar. But it's important just mm. to kind of just put it in perspective, I guess. You know, if 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 we do mm. lose these portions of scripture, it is not the end of the world. Um, it is it mm. is not teaching things that that can't be found clearly taught in in other parts of the new testament these things aren't as clear-cut these these examples they're not as clear-cut as the the one john five example are they um the the woman caught in adultery story if i remember rightly that's that does appear in different parts of the gospel of john you know in different manuscripts it appears in different places which is another of those sort of flags that says hold on that might not actually have been originally part of the gospel because people have inserted it in different places even when the the experts themselves are are somewhat divided over some of these issues yeah yeah that, that's that's a probably a good sign that um that interested laymen like you and i shouldn't uh, shouldn't shouldn't take yeah. a hardcore stance either way and in fact yeah that's right you know there's one of the foremost new testament textual critics today dan wallace makes that point um, not so much about those yeah. passages but more in general you know, he says there are, there are two positions we should avoid on this. The first is a sort of radical scepticism and say, well, we can't have any idea what the original text said because we, we clearly can. But but the other one is is absolute certainty. You know, we can't pick a Bible up and say, I, I've got 100% certainty that these are the exact words you know, that, that, that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago because we, we can't really hold that stance mm. either. You know, the, the, key, the key is a balance there where we can have... Yeah. We can have good confidence that what we have is a a good representation of what was written, yeah. but but we can't have absolute certainty on all on all matters here. No, absolutely, yeah. We 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 can. It is reliable enough that it's preserved the the message and yes. preserved yeah. pretty much the the exact words um, from from what the apostles originally yeah. wrote. Yeah. But but yeah, absolutely. There's things we don't know. I mean, one of the one of the ones that I, I think back to when when we. You know, is one of those that you've just got to shrug your shoulders at and not not know for sure. Is I think in Mark one where uh, Jesus heals. There's a story about Jesus healing a, a, a leper, someone with leprosy, and it. And most versions say that he moved with pity or compassion, but then I think there's a variant in in a couple of places and, and a couple of key early manuscripts where it says he he moved. It says something about him being moved with anger, mm. which mm. which is really odd sort of variant, but. Because it's in early manuscripts, people are starting to think, actually, this could well have been the original. I mean, that changes the dynamic of what's going on. Jesus, why, why was Jesus angry? Or if that's the case, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he got angry at different times. And why was it that he was angry with this situation presented to him? 
um you know what was he what point was he trying to get across um it doesn't substantially change anything about about him and his life and his teaching and what he did but but it might yeah, cast exactly. that, you know that incident in a different light but but yeah it's one of those very few actually that you we really can just shrug our shoulders and actually not be sure um 100% so Great. Okay. So, so that that's been really good. I mean, there's so much more we could look at. We and you, you know, look look at very specific examples and and so on. It it we can't do that right now. But really, really appreciated your your help to sort of take us through yeah, that. My pleasure. You you've you referred to a few different people, individuals, and resources, and so on. What's been helpful? What can we link to in the show notes to? sort of direct people to that can help them look at this a bit more yeah okay well i I mentioned the name just a few a few seconds ago that was dan wallace who's who's very much at the forefront of you know not not only examining existing manuscripts and doing that sort of the 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 day job of a a new testament textual critic um but also actually cataloging new ones that have been found um Mm. that that figure of five you know almost six thousand i think it's five thousand eight hundred or so that that only represents the ones that have been formally catalogued and logged. There there are a whole number which are currently ba- basically waiting for someone to go through them. Ah, you know, and, and I know that Dan Wallace is very much involved in that in that work with a, a team behind him as well. Um, if if you're familiar with the Net Bible or the New English Translation, yeah. Dan uh, was very much involved in in the New Testament there, and. That Bible itself, in fact, if, if you're interested to find out more about this, that Bible contains hundreds and thousands of footnotes, um, many of which are text critical in nature and, and just give some further information about how they arrived um, at, at particular textual choices and some of the data behind it. You know, so if, if this has whet your appetite, I would highly recommend you know, do, doing a bit of a, a bit of your standard sort of daily New Testament Bible reading from the Net Bible, um, and just delving into some of those notes and just just getting a sense of, of how they how they deal with some of these issues because that that really is helpful to just sort of try and try and get your head into that. No, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. So that that's that's one sort of source of um of additional help. I, I think you 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 mentioned one to me earlier, which is uh, Philip Comfort's uh, New Testament text and translation commentary as well. Yeah, yeah, I find that helpful. Just um, if there is a, a verse, I'm curious to know whether there's any variations. I can just look that up in that commentary, and yeah. it will list the the main main variations that are found and reasons why translations go for go for them. So it's a really really handy resource. Of course, there's you know there's a, there's a ton of online uh, resources as well around this. I mean, I think you, you mentioned mm. the Wikipedia page. Um, I know you've got to be careful with Wikipedia, but in, in actual yeah. fact, on, on some of this stuff, they are very, very good. Um, they've got a number of good resources. You know, one, for example, I'm looking at here is a, a table of manuscripts just showing the sort of um, divisions or, or the um, the distribution of Greek manuscripts by century. So you can see exactly how many we've got that are mm. from the first, second, third, and, and so on. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a huge amount out there. Good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Phil. That was really, really helpful. My pleasure. And uh, it, it's been it's been good, I think, to have like a sort of an overview session on this. Um, every now and then on the, on the podcast, we do sort of delve into really specific things and, and in a bit more detail. And it just strikes me that if anyone's got any particular verse that they're thinking of that's got a textual problem 
um, with that. It's something that we could we could chat about at some point mm. on the podcast just to just to think it through. That you know that by all means get in touch with us and and uh, let us know if you've got that. We we can have a think about those. This yeah, because there's, there's there are others that are worth thinking through. You know that that impact. Um, you know, pretty key verses in, in the New Testament. So, so yeah, get in touch if you've if you've got any comments or, or anything like that. You can get in touch. You can go to our website, biblefeed.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, it's it's been really good to to have you on, Phil. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And see you again soon. listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think and hear your questions on subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send us a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm-hmm.